This is Lloyd Minster's show. This is local that matters to you. Local people. Local events. Local news and sports. For Lloyd Minster and area, this is Live with Kurt Price from the new Lloyd Minster Nissan. Hey, great to have you joining us uh, today. We are on the road. We are at the brand new Museum and Archives here in Lloydminster. And we have got some special guests today. We will talk to Mayor Gerald Albers in just a few moments, but we're also gonna talk to uh, collections curator, uh, Holly Dirawa. We're gonna talk to uh, Gayla McMillan, who is an archivist here at the uh, Museum and Archives. And we're gonna talk to the manager of this Beautiful new facility, and uh, she's sitting right beside me on this side, Natalie Clydesdale. So uh, before we get into that, there's a lot going on. I want to thank the committee last night, the organizers of the Festival of Trees, for having me out to emcee that event. That was a terrific event. It was uh, one of the first major events in Lloydminster that included a meal, included sit-down, included a, a tree auction that went very, very well. And it was just great to get back and see some people again that we haven't seen in a long time. I want to thank uh, Otis Risling. He bought my tie each year. They auction off the tie. Otis bought the tie for $250. And then I, I don't know if it was an ugly tie. I thought it was a nice tie. It had some Christmas lights on it and things like that. It was an expensive tie, I can tell you that. Not as expensive for me as it was for Otis at $250. But uh, Otis gave it back to me. He just said, you know what? It looks good with that suit. Keep wearing it. Merry Christmas. So I appreciate that, Otis. I appreciate everybody who was there last night to buy a Christmas tree, bid on a silent auction. If you decorated a tree, that was fantastic. The, uh, we had some, some big time uh, runs with the auction, and I think they uh, probably averaged out to uh, just over $1,000 a tree. Uh, probably more, probably about $1,200 a tree last night. So thanks everybody for doing that. And then uh, congratulations to uh, the winners of the, the pick of the forest there, the uh, best trees, there were two of them. And so uh, Remax Lloydminster, Amanda Warner decorated a tree and uh, it was bought by New Lloydminster Nissan. So you're gonna see that at New Lloydminster Nissan. And it tied for first place with uh, Katie Mesmer's tree, the metal tree, Spiros bought that again. It was great to have uh, Spiro and Tina there. Or it was great to have Tina bidding with Spiro's money uh, last night, but it was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we I'm glad we had something festive for the season. I'm glad that uh, we were able to make it the Festival of Trees. Kiwanis Club is going to continue that. The Kiwanis Club of Lloydminster invites you to their official lighting of the Kiwanis Festival of Lights at Kiwanis Park, 56 B Street, 51st Avenue, this Sunday. Speeches go at 4 o'clock with the official lighting by Mayor Gerald Albers at 4.30. Maybe a little bit earlier or a little bit later than 4.30, depending on how long his speech is. A B. Fisher Foundation is back with their New Year's Eve 50-50 raffle. The major draw, December 31st at 11 p.m. Go to www.bfisher5050.ca. Packages and prices range from one ticket for $10 all the way up to 50 tickets for $100. If you're not online, you can call 780-875-3633. And the nice people over there at B. Fisher will give you a hand. Looking forward to this. Uh, next Saturday, one week from tomorrow, here comes Santa Claus in downtown Lloydminster. Santa and the Grinch, both gonna be 
downtown. Again, there'll be some new characters down there as well. Fireworks uh, will light up downtown at 5 p.m. There's a free movie with the Polar Express uh, showing and a chance for you to win $1,000. So take lots of pictures and send those pictures in. If you want more information, all the details, we suggest you look it up on Facebook. Here Comes Santa Claus is on Facebook, or you can check out uh, yesterday's edition of the Meridian Source. There's a full-page ad there that will have lots of details for you on how you can go about winning lots of uh, money and uh, having a great Christmas and also uh, taking the kids down and enjoying building a gingerbread house and all that kind of fun stuff. So Here Comes Santa Claus, December 4th. And note the uh, fireworks are a little earlier this year than they were last year going off from the same location, but they will launch at 5 p.m. Lloyd, Mr. Legion, branch number 39, hosting a roast beef supper on December 4th. Order your meal for pickup today by calling the Legion 306-825-2521. Pickup will be between 4 and 7 p.m. It's $15 a plate. Lloyd, Mr.'s Gift to Health, the digital live stream presented by Synovus is back this year with a goal of raising a half a million dollars. This year, the Lloydminster Regional Health Foundation looking to purchase diagnostic equipment for the Lloydminster Hospital. Uh, December 7th, myself and Heather Kleigis will be uh, hosting along with Greg Buchanan and Evan Dagenhart. Now, Greg is going to be in with the 24 runners that are taking part on 24 treadmills there at the Lloydminster uh, Exhibition Grounds. And uh, we'll be broadcasting live from that site. And then Evan Dagenhart will be out and about in the community as well. It's a lofty goal, half a million dollars. Uh, I think I'll probably cry if we get it. Go to lrhf.ca slash gift to health if you'd like to find out more information. And if you haven't bought your tickets yet for the Lloydminster Canets uh, December cash calendar, do so right away. Each day in December, chance to win money, and it's only $20 a ticket. 306-821-7979. Great thing about the Lloyd Mr. Connets. Put the dollars right back in the community. We talked about Here Comes Santa Claus. They're a big sponsor of that. Also, the Kinsmen, who are another sponsor of that, going to have their Christmas tree lot up soon. You'll have a chance to win Christmas trees, courtesy of Here Comes Santa Claus as well. Lloyd Mr. Exhibitions Chase, the ace draw was not won on Wednesday night, so they're looking for that pot to be around $30,000. So it is really starting to get up there. Tickets, one for 10, three for 25, eight for 50, 20 for 100. Easiest way to buy tickets, go to the Lloyd X website, lloydexh.com. All the details are there, including if you'd like to e-transfer, or you could stop out at the Lloyd Mr. Exhibition Monday to Friday, buy your ticket right there in person. And speaking of the Lloyd Mr. Exhibition, PBR is back at the Lloyd Mr. Exhibition after being postponed last year. Go to www.lloydexh.com slash PBR dash winter dash classic. Uh, tickets are $40. It is December 4th. Uh, not only features bulls and bull riders, but also a cabaret. And Macaw Funeral Service presents Handling the Holidays on Friday, December 3rd at 7 p.m. at the Service Credit Union parking lot. We had Joel McCall on the show and he was telling us just how important this event is. They did go ahead with this event last year and uh, they realized that because it's so important to those who have lost someone uh, this year, the past year, struggle with the holidays, they want to make this a priority again. So if you could RSVP uh, before uh, Thursday, December 2nd by calling 780-875-4444. They'll be set up in the Service Credit Union parking lot. They'll also be live streaming uh, that event.
And the Lights and Sounds of Christmas House at 5704 30th Street will run from 5 to 10 p.m. each night. And uh, once again this year, Jerry Frank and his family bringing you the Christmas spirit and hoping that you can donate to a couple of different charities. There's a mailbox beside the driveway there. You can slip some cash in it or, uh, you know, contact Jerry, I suppose. But uh, he's going to give the donations to Big Brothers Big Sisters, the Goat's Christmas Wish. And also the Olive Trees gift of Christmas. We'll have to get Jerry on the show. I think I can contact him. He's renovating my bathroom as we speak. And the lawyer, Mr. Bobcats, have announced that their Bob Troop tribute game is going to be December 12th against the Olds Grizzlies. That's a 2 p.m. puck drop at the Civic Center. Note, afternoon game. It'll also be the Teddy Bear Toss game. Uh, the Bobcats will celebrate the legacy of a man who inspired many in the sporting world, but also in this community. He was not only a big part of the Lloyd Mr. Bobcats, but Bob Troop, who passed away back on May 15th, was a huge part of our city. Lloyd Mr. Bobcats home to Fort Mac for two games tonight and tomorrow. Both games start at 7.30. Bobcats currently sitting uh, just uh, around 500. They're 12 and 12 and 1. And best of luck to the Holy Rosary Raiders today. You'll play the Cochrane Cobras at 4 p.m. Commonwealth Stadium at Edmonton. Tier 3 Alberta Provincial titles. The Raiders have yet to surrender a point in the Provincial playoffs. Actually, they are, I believe, yet to surrender a point in the playoffs. All right, here we are. We're at this uh, brand new, beautiful, beautiful, bright building. It's maybe not that bright in where we are right now, but when you get into the back, we'll talk about that a little bit. It's bright, it's beautiful, it is completely different, I think, than what you're used to seeing when you go to the uh, older uh, museum there. So uh, let's start, uh, let's start, Natalie, with uh, maybe uh, how good this feels that uh, it is open and thank you all for being here really appreciate it thanks for taking some time because i know you're busy today with the grand opening but this must feel pretty good yes thank you kurt um we're very very excited um next week was our uh usual normal week um for drop-ins so we're open monday to saturday 10 to 6 p.m um and you don't need to register next week um just for today and tomorrow for our free time slots um, so we're excited to start seeing the public come through our doors. Is there still uh, time slots available for today or tomorrow? Yes, so there, um, there is one booked up uh, completely tomorrow afternoon, but there is plenty of availability throughout today and tomorrow. And how do you, where do you go and, and like, let's talk about the location, but also how you get registered. So we're located at 4207 44th Street, so just down the road from the old location, and you can register for your uh, time slot um, at the City of Lloydminster registration website. Okay, well, the first thing people are going to notice when they come in is there's not as many eyes. Yes. Don't, don't you think? Like, yes. Like, uh, that, that really, for me, that was the biggest thing is. Yes. So we, we have. Where, where are the paintings? <laughs> we have shifted focus to more Lloydminster specific um, history. So you will see a main heritage gallery. Um, and that's where you will see a little bit more focus on, on Lloydminster specifically. Um, so most of the items that we're seeing as you tour through? here from Lloydminster? Yes. And is, was that made a priority? Yes, of? and I think this is a question best served for um, our collections curator, Holly Durwa. Holly, so, so when you guys were, were picking the items to put in here, did you focus mostly on, on let's, let's get some Lloydminster, you know, stuff that was donated from Lloydminster residents in? Definitely, that was one of our high priorities. And then things that fit well into some of the developed themes that we came up with that really showcased the early years and moving through time in Lloyd. Um, so notable families, 
well, at least notable to us, <laughs> based on what we know in the collection and that kind of thing and some of the items we have. So there's definitely items all the way back from the Boer War, so predating the Boer colonists, and then some items the Boer colonists brought with them, um, and then carrying on to further life here in Lloyd. So we definitely prioritized Lloydman's uh, rights. I'd like you, uh, someone to expand on that theme, the theme of, of what we're... Sure, so there's actually a couple different themes. Uh, we know it's a small space, but we managed to put a bunch in there. Um, so there's the theme of the bar colonists themselves, so the original settlers of this town um, who came over from England in 1903. And then we have some kind of early indigenous uh, look at people that were already here that the bar colonists kind of wandered into when they got here and how settlement affected our indigenous populations. Uh, from there, we dive back into the early first years of Lloydminster, so when the town was just on its feet, just beginning to be a thing and what kind of businesses and services. Um, and after that, we kind of delve into the domestic sphere. Uh, Lloydminster, I'm sure most people can realize, is a very male uh, history town. Uh, so as, as a staff of ladies, we kind of saw that and decided that we needed to represent both ourselves and our, our four sisters here. So we made sure to get, our, get some lady history in there as well. And then we also expand again on uh, agriculture and oil and that history. And then we kind of take a jump in time and we pop on over to Woodminster today and thoughts on the future. And we kind of let that open to public thought. When you come in, the, the first thing you're going to see, I think, is a little bit of history on reconciliation, mm -hmm. indigenous, um, uh, the indigenous history. Yeah. And then as you're leaving, yes. there's also the, the indigenous um, made a priority, obviously, too. Yes, for sure. Um, it's really easy to just discuss indigenous people as, you know, the settlers wandered into these people. And that's the end of that story. And that, that's very untrue. I mean, the the last census I pulled data from um, stated that about 10% of Lloydminsterites self-identify as Indigenous or Métis. Um, so it's a large part of our population. And we wanted to ensure that we didn't just talk about uh, Indigenous populations as kind of a dead or past culture. Um, and then what groups these days are doing to uh, reconcile and work with that and ensure that that's recognized in the community again today. Uh, a huge part of our economy, and it's showcased here, is agriculture and oil. Yes. So take us through a little bit of that, too. So unfortunately, um, we did have to downsize our oil uh, gallery from what people may remember from the OTS Science Center. Well, I think that display was probably about as big as this building. Yeah, it was a very <laughs> so. large display. It was a very well done display. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was about 20 years old. Yeah. So exhibits do need to come and go with the times. They get, they get a little tired and it was great. It just needed a, a rest and a new focus. So. Uh, we looked at oil again and kind of pared it down just to some of the history and some of the people involved and that kind of thing and how that uh, industry started here in Lloyd and what it's kind of grown into. And the same with agriculture because that is kind of why people were attracted to this area in the first place. So we kind of took a more historical perspective as opposed to the science perspective that we used to have on it. Um, there's a lot of... Um well, uh, I was at the Festival of Trees last night, and Dick Airy was telling us uh, they built sheds. We built sheds to store some of the uh, yes. items in. Will there be a, a rotation? Will we see some rotation of some of the uh, some of the artifacts? 
Some of the items here, yes, over time. Um, unfortunately, we don't quite have the space in this building to bring in some of our larger items like the cars or the tractors or that kind of thing. So that will stay um, at our old location, um, the Weaver Park or the Weaver Heritage Park area, just because we already do have that infrastructure built up there with our machine sheds and that kind of thing. And Rendell House is still over there. So all the large items will be over there. Um, we will have the opportunity over the coming years to kind of play with some of the items in this uh, permanent exhibit as is. And then the room we're actually sitting in right now, Kurt, this big empty white spot, let's say, um, will actually be usable for temporary exhibits, both coming in and out from around the country, um, from local artists, and then things that we here at the museum can curate ourselves based on the rest of the collection that I'm still housing in storage. So there's lots of opportunity. Yeah, I, I remember going into the museum and there was a great World War II exhibit that was in there. I think that was local. And then um, talk about, like, you do have something planned for this room almost immediately. Yes. But uh, I, I don't want to give too much away, but do you have it planned out for, you know, how far ahead and I stuff like that? I believe we've got about the next year and a half planned or so. So our first exhibit is actually coming from Library and Archives Canada. And it's going to be kind of an archival look at the history of the Métis. It's entitled Hiding in Plain Sight. Um, so we're dealing with some Métis culture and history in that one. And then how do you spot Métis cultural significance um, in paintings and pictures and that kind of thing. Um, after that, we've got a couple art shows planned. Uh, next summer, we've got a show of our own that we're going to put up. But I'm not going to spoil that one just yet. So yeah, and then there's more art shows and more history, and we're kind of splitting things around. I believe there's a hopefully a science show coming next winter. So you mentioned Weaver Park, and yes. there's there's buildings there, there's there's cars there, and things like that. Like over the summer, will people be able to go there, or is that going to be off limits because of construction and things like that? How's that kind of sure? Um, so the the hope is that we can operate that site independently from the museum as sort of a living outdoor his, um, museum. Um, so those, the um, agricultural implements and those sheds that the Bar Colony Heritage Society has um, built for us um, house a lot of the big, big items that can't be stored or displayed in this building. Um, and ho we're hoping that those, those, that site's available seasonally um, throughout the summertime. So when I was walking through, um, there's similarities to other museums that I've been in. And uh, it's such a modern, it is modern. It, it feels like maybe because our museum just felt a little bit older, I don't know. But it, it feels a little bit modern. Did you have a hand or did, did you guys have a hand in how it was like this would be displayed? And is there something that you kind of based it off of? We, we did engage um, a contractor from British Columbia to help guide the design. Um, um, but mainly a lot of the themes, the research, the artifact preparation all came from Holly and her team. Um, so that, and that was the driving force behind what it looks like. Um, so yes, there was a, a contractor that did help us build out this very modern looking design, but I did, do think that there was um, a lot of incorporation to preserving the past and making it um, sort of look like it's honoring our, our local heritage. So we're coming from the uh, uh, cultural and science center, I believe, is, is so. How does how does uh, culture and science and arts and things like that fit into the temporary uh, museum? I think I think with the temporary gallery and the temporary shows, it's a it's a goal of us to sort of balance the art, culture, history, um, and just we we will be bringing in science shows as um, Holly had mentioned, so that there is that science component. 
um, incorporated into our, our exhibits. And there's a big pottery room here as well. Talk, yes. Maybe tell us a little bit about how that will be used. Yes, so we have a relationship with the Lloydminster Potters Guild and uh, while we were closed they um, sort of didn't have a place to create and so we're welcoming them back in the new year. Um, and that is a very strong relationship that we have with them um, to operate our pottery infrastructure, so kiln maintenance, how to mix glazes. Um, they help with a lot of our programs as well. Um, so that space is sort of a multi-use space for pottery and, uh, and a create, creator space for our guild. Now, when we think about uh, you know, walking through, there's a lot of uh, notes, there's a lot of information. It's educational. How does, how does this work in with, uh, with the schools and, and education? Um, well, the, the exhibit itself is an educational tool, um, but it does not, uh, it's not the be-all, end-all of, of our ability to engage with schools. So there are programs, guided tours, interpretive guided tours that are being built onto that exhibit to allow for further discussion, um, to, to have much more in-depth look at the various themes that Holly had incorporated mm -hmm. into the exhibit. Uh, what are the regular hours going to be and admission prices? Um, so it's the same admission prices as they used to be at the Cultural Science Centre. So um, the regular $7.50 for an adult and it goes down for um, various age categories from there. Um, and then we are open 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Saturday. So uh, it's the museum and the archives. So uh, Gayla, let's talk about those archives. Uh, uh, f first of all, maybe people, maybe we should tell people what what is the archives. What what kind of uh, what kind of stuff does the archives like? Is it is it medals like war medals? Is it uh, uh, pictures <laughs> specifically? What what is, what is the archives? We collect the photographic and documentary history of the area, so paper based. Okay. We have a few little other things that aren't, but mostly paper and photographic. I remember when it was at the the library. Um, there was, you know, issues with uh, air quality and things like sure. that. So, yeah. how's this building? Well, so far so <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, um, Yeah, it's nice to have a <laughs> it's little nice more to have stable. A design, yeah, yeah it, it keeps the collection a lot safer um, when there's a stable temperature and stable uh, humidity. So we're happy to have a new building to do all that for us. It, is everything from the archives here now? So I remember when I worked at the television station, the radio and television, they had some videos and stuff like that that they were putting on uh, disc and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so, that's right, yeah. Yeah, we have um, the new cap and uh, formerly CKSA, go back a little further. Um, starting in 1988, we have all of the um, news footage from those times and as we've uh, gone through it and made it into small stories and they're all accessible on our website as we do them. So I think we're up now to about 2005 available on our website and uh, I think we're working in about 2012 right now. So How, how does the public get uh, incorporated into archives? I don't think you're going to come here and you know go through the archives, right? Um, generally people contact us first. They, lots of times people are contacting us for maybe they want the history of a certain business in town or of a family that was, uh, you know, their family maybe. Maybe they're calling us from overseas um, asking about a bar colonist, you right. know, asking the history of that. So um, if people want to come down, they are absolutely welcome to and we'll show them anything we have that concerns what they're looking for. Um, and same, we can, now we can scan, we can send things by email. We're, you know, the technology has helped us be able to share with anyone anywhere in the world. So the public has access from many different points for us. Is there a cost for that? Like if you're, if you're wondering about a relative and you know? There can be, um, we, we do um, generally do some research first on, you know, on our own 
um, time, I suppose, to make sure that we have what someone's actually looking for. And then, yeah, there can be some cost if we're doing some scanning or some, you know, sending high-resolution photographs or things like that. And those costs are, you know, we, we kind of determine them at the time by, based on what the person wants and, you know, we have set pricing for different types of photographs or paperwork, but... So if somebody's going through uh, Grandpa's collection or, um, or something like that and they, they find some, some items and stuff, uh, how do you... How do you contact the Well, person? generally people give us a call or send us an email and say we've got a box of things. Often it's it's a pretty mixed bag when we get it sometimes. <laughs> so you just kind of take it and go through it? Sure we do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have really we have a really dedicated crew of volunteers that help with that sort of process. And um, so they spend a long time deciding what should we keep, what should we not. Um, yeah, because we, everything comes into us. Sometimes people are at that cleaning out a basement kind of time and they don't really know what to do with it, well, there might be something from the Rotary Club from 1930, and there might be something that's a vase. You never know what goes yeah. in that box. So we will determine then what, what fits into our collection, what suits this, this area that we collect for, um, and where to put it in our collection. So if somebody, you know, there's something in that box, like a war medal or something, is it a call to Holly? Or? Absolutely. Yeah, now that we're one unified team um, for the past about two years or so, it's a lot easier for us to say, okay, this can go over to Gail and the archives, this, the physical item stays with me, so we'll get one donation but can split it between our two uh, operations and operations. I imagine those physical items too, like they would, they would be... I, I, I take it you don't need three sewing machines sort of thing. Well, I have you know 40, what I mean? like, so to have yeah. three would be <laughs> but, but how do you determine, like, if somebody calls, how do you determine you want to take a um, look at that item? Or? So there's a couple things that we determine. Um, so one, how many of these do I already have? Um, that plays into it. Uh, the provenance of it. So what, who owned this? How did they use it? Uh, generally, if it was used by someone of note or used in a business or something that's more uh, interesting to the general public um, than just, you know, my great aunt three times removed had an old sewing machine. Um, just because there's a lot of things that do s physically stand up to the test of time because um, they're cast iron, they don't really break. Um, so we get a lot of offers of large, heavy duty goods. Um, and then there's also what kind of condition is it in? Like, does it make sense for me to store this? Am I um, will it cost me more than it's almost kind of historically worth to put the care and the effort in? Because it does take our time and our resources to store all these items. So we have to balance out our storage capacity and our storage capabilities with what's being offered. So. Is there anything that's come in that's just really amazed you? Like, I, that's a question. I'll, I'm going to ask you, Gayla, too, if there's anything <laughs> you've learned working in the um, archives. You know what? That. Actually, at the start, what was it, this year? Time has no more meaning, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the start of this year, we got a call from Ontario, and the great-grandson of H.B. Hull, so one of the first uh, storekeepers here in town, um, offered us a whole pile of family documents and clothing and goods related to the store. Um, so that kind of popped out of nowhere, and H.B. Hull is also prominently featured in our new exhibit, so it really helped out with that. So yeah, that, that was kind of a great out of nowhere donation. And how about you, Gayla? Anything that you can think of that nothing, just really surprised you or stood out? That's... Nothing specific, but I have a thing for maps. So anytime a great map, especially old ones come in, I love those. I love to see any photograph that I've never seen before. There are a lot of the, the great historical photographs that show up again and again in town because they're great photos. Yeah. I love to see the ones that we haven't seen before. Those thrill me. 
Um, the archives has posted some amazing pictures on Facebook. Yes. And I love it when they ask, does anybody recognize any of these people? How yep. often do, do you get answers? We get answered almost immediately. You do, eh? Yeah. yeah, before the next morning, lots of times, everyone in the photograph is named, or we get a phone call the next morning of, here's all the people in that photo. <laughs> it's, Even it's blurry incredible. pictures, people are like, I know who that yep, is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that's great. That yeah. helps to flesh out our collection a bit, give us uh, you know, a better description of the photo or what was going on or who was there, or what team this was, what was happening, what year it was. Is it always Larry Alinek that calls? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I love He's Larry and he knows photos. everybody. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind when you talk about the Lloyd Minster Museum and the archives, uh, Natalie, everybody will tell you when you talk to them, you have an incredible staff. So maybe talk about the knowledge of, of your staff and how good this staff is here. Um, so we do have staff that obviously specialize in archives. Yep. Um, we obviously specialize in exhibit development um, as well as artifact uh, preservation and collections management. Um, we also have staff that um, are, have strong strengths in um, art, fine art, teaching fine art, coordinating artists, um, as well as living history programs, heritage programs. So um, this summer at the old site, we had candle making and soap making as sort of a trial run to see the interest of the public and we received overwhelming feedback. So these are one of the things that we'd like to move forward with um, in terms of programming in the new sites as well as the seasonal site um, at Weaver Park. Are you guys excited to get this over with and just get back into regular kind of routine? We're excited to see what routine's going to look like for us. Um, everyone says, oh, are you excited to get back to normal? We're not sure what normal looks like. So next week, we're excited to see what happens and uh, what's going to happen um, for the days to come. Is there anything I'm forgetting to ask, ladies? Anything that you wanted to, to make sure you mentioned that I maybe have overlooked? No, I just want to thank the team and the archivists. And I, this exhibit would not exist without the archivists and their volunteers. and. They're great holding, so thank you. Thank you to that. Thank you. Thanks for letting us be involved. We, we well, really enjoyed it. You're locals and I am not. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things that you're like, you need to include this. I'm like, I, I can include that. I will do my best. So. I sometimes wonder what makes you a local, because I didn't move here until 1991. So. I think you're local. I think, yeah. 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 Uh, ladies, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for allowing us to come in here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will have Mayor Gerald Albers with us. We don't measure success with dollars and cents at Synergy Credit Union. We measure success by the impact we make for our members, employees, and communities we serve. We support and are advocates for financial wellness and putting members' needs before synergies. We have a strong culture that fosters engagement, competency, inclusion, and wellness. We support our communities, partnering in projects that matter and strengthen the community. That's what makes us different from a bank. Be part of something better. Be part of Synergy. At Diamond 7 Meats, we work with local farm families to provide a high-quality product and a great selection for you. Try our mouth-watering smokies, pulled pork, roast beef, and more. Made pure and natural with no additives or fillers. We offer custom processing, and our experienced team works for you to provide a selection of sausage, burgers, and jerkies made to your specifications. Take your grilling to the next level with a Yoder Smoker. Complete the grilling experience with a Canadian-made, award-winning line of House of Q barbecue sauces. We're locally owned and operated, and we look forward to seeing you today. PWM Steel in Lloydminster is the key supplier and largest indoor inventory of steel between Edmonton and Saskatoon. Locally owned, PWM Steel offers a wide range of services from steel cutting and bending to custom sign and powder coating. 
PWM Steel uses aluminum products as well as new and recycled steel. Key supplier of steel products and services since 1982. Visit their website at pwmsteel.com. Hey, welcome back inside the new uh, Lloyd Minster Museum and Archives. And uh, we have traded in the beautiful ladies for Mayor Gerald Albers. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. It's always a <laughs> pleasure to which, be here. Which, which side do you think we ended up on that one? You lost. <laughs> you lost. It's pretty simple. Let's be honest. Uh, we appreciate you uh, taking some time for us today to come down to the museum and archives. Had the uh, ribbon cutting yesterday. Uh, that obviously went pretty darn smoothly. Absolutely. And uh, what does it mean to have this finally open? This is an incredible building, you know, to see where we were at and to make the, had to have closed it and to make some of the decisions that council made uh, and then enter into a lease agreement here, got the people in place to put together a new museum because I think that's what people were looking for. And you've talked about it for the last bit with the staff and the team that put it together. It was incredible. Uh, walking through, it gets you that feeling of a museum that if you went to Regina or Edmonton, anywhere else, this is, we're, we're getting to that class of museums. So it, it's I really it's classy. Gonna, it is classy. And I think people need to realize that not having all the stuff we have on display means maybe more than having enough to develop that interest. I can't wait till the schools come through and say, hmm, is there anything else? Yeah, then we're going to take them over to Weaver Park in the summertime and make arrangements through the schools and get them there and touching and feeling those old tractors, the old oil field equipment that we just maybe didn't tie together as well. And, you know, the piece, you know, we, let's start with the Indigenous people. When we came uh, as settlers and our ancestors came, so interesting. Think about the fur trade, the fur trade that started with somebody coming up the North Saskatchewan River, not going down the North Saskatchewan, but coming yeah. up and uh, starting to do business with the First Nations. The first business carried out in our community was with First Nations, if you can imagine that, first. Then we get into the general store, and I just love that general store layout here. So I, I don't want to give away too much. I want people to come down and look at it and see it firsthand. But wow, you watch an old movie, this, uh, that tells you a lot of what it must have been like because uh, they got the cash register and you want to walk around back and see what kind of prices are on it. I think Kevin at Sobeys would have a heart attack if he was going to know everything was one cent to, to get moving out the store. So. It's interesting you say uh, it'll pique your interest because That's, there's a few things that when I walk through, um, uh, Reverend Barr, yep. um, like I, I, I didn't realize how unpopular he was until you know <laughs> there's you got to come down and see for you yourself do. you do there's some history there's some and, history and we don't need to hide history but i think we need to have a fair and open discussion doesn't matter what history you talk about and certainly there's that uh, there's always two opinions and as i uh, know that or maybe three as a mayor and, and the other thing that i've often thought of but it's kind of on display here too is how much um, you know you would have had to go to the river to bring goods back Absolutely. Right, that river we think of that's a long ways away. It is a long ways right? away, and, and they they probably had public transportation back then. You betcha, it was all called an ox <laughs> and a cart, uh, horses and a wagon, and uh, a couple good men. <laughs> <laughs> We're still, uh, and you know, you talked about the archives. I think 
the history. So you've got a museum that brings you back to life. But trust me here, the other day it was kind of interesting. Uh, City Council was here for a tour before we opened to see it. And uh, yeah, there's some pictures from some old yearbooks. And uh, you know, you can find out a lot of stuff about people in this town. Uh, you know, I know you didn't grow up here, and neither did I. But boy, if we want a history on some people that we know jointly, we should do a little more time at the archives to dig up a little history. Those high school pictures tell an awful lot. Uh, I'm thinking, I mentioned Larry Olenek already. Don Whiting is another guy. Don Whiting. Wouldn't you love to delve into the history and, oh my you know, goodness, find you know, the photos? Find the photos the mug of Don shots. Whiting rather than Don Whiting behind the photos. Yeah, the mug shots. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> did they keep those here? I didn't know that. If anybody has them, <laughs> donate them. No, it's nice to have this open. It, it really it really is. It's a 10-year lease. Ten so years. talk a little bit about that and, 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 so, and what the plan is going so forward. That, uh, one of the first things that will happen, uh, will come forward, is the demolition of the old building. There's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done on the actual Weaver Park site for drainage. And uh, people will tell me their stories about uh, water puddles and things like that. So there's a pile of capital that needs to be done to the property before we build the next building. And I encourage people, and I know I've heard, heard a lot from a lot of great folks in the community, well, what is going to come? And I said, let's get an opportunity to enjoy this building, start to see and get a feel. And as we move forward over the next 10 years, talk about what the next building will look like. And it's a challenge because one of my concerns is we can't compete with the Western Development Museum in North Battleford or Moose Jaw. And we can't compete with the Provincial Natural History Museums. But what is the made in Lloydminster solution that people are willing to support for museum and archives going forward in the next, after 10 years? So I don't have those answers. And I will encourage uh, people to do a lot of thinking and share your thoughts uh, with myself and council members, staff here. Get, give us a little time to get our feet wet. Now let's get that ground cleared and properly secured over at Weaver Park so that when people say, hey, I'm going to bequeath uh, a part of their estate to the city to build the next museum, the Council of the Day. And that's going to be the Council of the Day because I, as mayor and leading the council today, we can't commit to something from 10 years from now. But we can certainly hear about it and start to build towards that. And uh, that will come down to the Council of the Day, the mayor and the community as itself. Uh, we got this building now open. Does it feel a little bit like, ah, oh, I can relax on that a little bit because there's so much other stuff coming up, including the library. How are we doing? The library is doing well, uh, making great progress. Um, you know, we cut the ribbon the other day to reopen the mall, talked about the issues yeah. that the mall had. Uh, it affected a brand new library. Good news was no books were damaged by the flood that happened. The, the bad news was the library wasn't open, but the good news is it wasn't kind of a bad good news story yeah. for a change. We are in the process of getting things all set up in the new library. The building itself is done. Now it's getting set up in the library. So you can imagine it's not just one half ton load of books moving from one place to another, uh, bringing in the IT, bringing in all the desks and all those pieces, the shelving. That's all ready to start. The jigsaw puzzle goes together there. So we're looking at later January for the opening of the library. Uh, as soon as we can get it open, we will. Uh, we know people need, uh, want to access the library, which we appreciate, and that's very important. Mall's excited about the library coming. So building up, building up, and uh, it's terrific. You know, it's great to see progress because you're going to get to it. Where does city spend money? You're seeing it here. You're going to see it at the library. 
You're going to see it at fire hole number one when it opens later next spring. So there is money going into the city and being put to good use, we believe, and I hope people will agree with that because that's what we're hearing from residents in the community when we talk to them. Looking forward to the library opening. We've been asked to broadcast from the library as well, so we, we're really looking forward to that as good, well. Good. Uh, how about the new arena? Am I wrong in, in saying that the snowball is small right now, but it is rolling? The snowball is small, but it is rolling. That's a good, a good analogy. Uh, basically, uh, the city has contracted a consultant, in, in essence an architect, and uh, working with those to start to look at things. City staff had the opportunity to do some touring here a couple weeks ago to see seven, I believe it was seven different arenas in Alberta and Saskatchewan that gave them an idea of what people are looking for, what to do and what not to do. And I can give you an example. There was one arena recently built in Western Canada. They saved $600,000 because they didn't put an escalator into it. But a year later, they spent $1.2 million to put an escalator because people needed an escalator. So that's going to, it certainly gives me some indication as a member of council that's going to vote on the dollars and cents when this gets to that point. We're going to ask some questions. I know administration is going to be looking at that saying, what do we need to put in basically to make sure this thing runs and we're not having a hiccup? Trust me, I'm sure there'll be at least one, but we're going to try to minimize them and keep them as low cost as possible that, oh, we should have done this. Working through using other arenas, people's input, the community, and things like that. We've reached out to the user groups because that's important. Uh, I don't play hockey anymore. I wish I did, but I don't. So what are they looking for in dressing rooms? What's with the dimensions of boys' teams, girls' teams, and all sorts of things? Uh, we've got to make sure that we've got that covered off, and that's what we're looking for for input from both the user groups, administration, the consultant, and the public. Have you guys talked about a timeline? We haven't. Uh, it's moving forward, so there's not an actual defined date yet. I'm going to have to come up, uh, we are going to have to come up with a timeline, that's not myself, but uh, administration will likely bring something forward, and that's when I'll put my uh, Ottawa hat on and uh, Regina and Edmonton and have some chats with those folks and talk about uh, the value of, of grant programs and how we can access the grants and go from there with the support of council, because I can tell you it's great when we walk in as a group of seven and sit down with a minister and talk about the important part of our community. Uh, last time we talked, uh, the construction wasn't done on Highway 16. You said it's going to be right uh, either a day before or a day after October 31st. You were pretty much right on the money. It was pretty darn close. Yeah, but uh, something else has come up now or fallen down from the sky, and that's, uh, and that's the snow. And I know the city has received a lot of negative feedback about, uh, about uh, maybe not uh, uh, roads in general, but the immediate sort of reaction. Yeah, can you talk it, you about know, that immediate reaction to this is, you know, we go through this year in and year out, and this is now my fifth winter sitting in this chair, and uh, appreciate people's concerns because that is a concern. Public safety and the, the roads are a concern we take seriously. I can tell you, our folks were out early the day it snowed. People say, well, you didn't see a snowplow truck. Those folks were out at four in the morning. When you have ninety kilometer an hour winds and when you've got snow blowing like it did. Uh, and the problem was City Council was headed to the convention in Edmonton. We made the trek to Edmonton at 80 kilometers an hour because 16 Highway was a skating rink. We watched trucks going in the ditch all over the place in different vehicles. Nevertheless, uh, the team did the best they could do with the equipment they have. 
People ask me, why does the truck go by and sand, and four hours later this plow truck comes by and plows? Well, when there's no traction there, uh, you've got to realize that we need to put traction there and keep it safe so people can stop at an intersection and take off. So they will sand. We don't pour piles of sand, we put enough down to try and give them some grit. Yes, then the plow truck's going to come. I believe we have five or six plow trucks. We've got a couple of graders. But think of the number of roads in our city. And of course, number 16 is a primary. 17 is a primary road. We try and get those as possible and keep the traffic moving. We have secondary priority roads. That's the schools and things like that. So the folks, they were running 14 hours a day. Uh, and I, it, no, I don't, we don't have a staff to run 24 hours a day. Uh, operators, it takes people, you just can't put somebody in one of those trucks. Kurt, I, I trust your driving, but I'm not <laughs> going to put you in a snowplow truck because you're not qualified. Neither am I, and that's not my job, but we have people to do that. So our staff try desperately hard to get as much snow removed as soon as they can. Moving forward, so priority two streets and then sanding follows, because once you move that snow off, you might have noticed they kind of kind of become a little slippery. And uh, so our guys are out with one tons, three tons, four tons. People have asked me, Highways has these front-mounted plows and these wings. Well, uh, in some cases, some of our streets are not as wide as others. And in an imperfect world, uh, if you notice, there's nothing in the ditch other than a few signs. People park their vehicles along the road. Could you imagine having one of those side plows go by and bury your vehicle? Or even worse, hit it, because our driver's trying to guess where he's got and somebody else is coming. So it's a very challenging operation. Cutting grass is much simpler than moving snow. So. I asked people a couple things. Please give our guys a little bit of time and some distance. When you see a snowplow truck out in the city working, a sanding truck, just back up a little bit because that flying sand's coming out. The snowplow truck, if he hits a bank, he's going to slow down pretty quick. Second, one of the challenges we see on streets is snow being pushed off of driveways and sidewalks. That is not, that snow on your driveway or sidewalk needs to end up on your property. Because when you push it out, oh, it'll get packed down. Well, today it's going to go positive on the temperature. I drove around last night again. There are streets that are going to be damn near impossible today. And that's why the city's responding on Monday morning. It takes a couple days to get organized. We've got crews starting in four different locations throughout the city doing a residential snow removal, not a plowing. This is a full removal. Mother Nature is either our friend or our enemy, and right now she's been a little bit of our enemy. If she'd have got cold and said, okay, we're going to minus 25 as we used to grow up with, it would have packed down, but it didn't. So now we have to deal with it. And again, I understand people say, you know, is it it's safety? We got that in mind, but we don't have contractors sitting waiting for us. If you've noticed, a lot of businesses have their parking lots cleaned because they pay a retainer and they have business arrangements. We have, we, our contractors that we use, members of our community, business community, know we'll call, but they also want to keep their machinery working as much as they can throughout the winter because construction slows down. That's why we're not doing 16 highway in the winter time. So we've got that organized. We're going to kick it off on Monday morning. And uh, get, again, please give that equipment room to move because we're dealing with loaders and blowers and big dump trucks that are slow. They're, they're watching what they've got to do. And we just can't have people backing out saying, oh, they'll see me. They may not see you. And we like to do it accident free and touch wood. Hopefully we can get through uh, without having any issues that way. So this is a challenge and it's something the city takes very seriously, both administration and council. And we, as a council member, 
we've given administration direction. And they don't like pulling the, the pulling the number on it either because we're talking half million, two million dollars, depending on how things go. It's not cheap running loaders and dump trucks because when you start realizing what's going through the snow dump and you just see a convoy of trucks, those trucks don't run for for nickels. What about privatizing? That's been brought up. Yeah, it has been brought up. So that's a challenging discussion. I had a chance to meet with the Minister of Transportation for Alberta this summer in Vermilion when we were out touring the wastewater treatment plant and talked about road maintenance. And yeah, you can privatize. It's how much money are you going to put into it? Because you can ask private contractors that they'll say, if you pay me enough money, I'll get it removed in 24 hours. Let's go to BC. Let's use BC right now and what's happening there with the floods and, you know, really feel for those people. They're running 24-7, but you wait till they see that bill because the bill's got to be paid at the end of the day. They've got tons of trucks and excavators working. How much equipment? Because snowplow trucks only run for a certain period of time. So as a private investor, anybody in business will say, if I need to invest $6 million worth of equipment, I need so much payback. So there, there is a trade-off and I really challenge people. I know that, uh, yes, we are unionized at the city, but we are working with independent contractors for this snow removal. The amount of equipment the city would need would be astronomical to do it ourselves. Even plowing the streets, there's only so much time and equipment out there. And I, like I say, it's going to be a cost. So if somebody can show me something different, I'm wide open to it. But I need to see those costs because to talk about it and to actually see it. And again, working through it from our perspective as council, as governance, to what the administration uh, is showing us from both beforehand for budgets and for the actual costs incurred. We're trying to get the best value for your taxpaying dollar. Speaking of your taxpaying dollars, taxes going up 3.5% on residential. On residential uh, property and uh, the same will uh, basically apply to commercial. So one of the budget items, I don't know if people fully understand, we have some, some major challenges ahead of us. One of them was the RCMP contract. The RCMP contract that the city has is in essence with the federal government to supply policing services to our city, which is a responsibility. It's one of those five items I talk about. Those are needs. Everything else is wants, and we'll talk about that a little bit. The RCMP had not had a salary increase since 2016, the choice of the federal government. And I don't mean to throw the feds under the table, but that's who employs the RCMP. So all of a sudden, uh, the RCMP unionized. Their union was uh, approved or confirmed by the Supreme Court, I believe, because it was questioned by the federal government if they could unionize. They sat down with the federal uh, Treasury Department, and uh, lo and behold, in a very short time, just prior to a federal election being called, they had an agreement. Uh, am I disputing it? No, but uh, at the end of the day, it resulted in a significant increase in policing costs to this city going forward. So there's two pieces to this. One is the retroactive pay that we're going to get a bill from the RCMP for the members since 2016 for the services we've already received. We've got money in reserves. We hope there is enough. We're also arguing with the federal government that you signed the contract. You guys should be on the tab for that piece. Nevertheless, move our costs up 24% for policing uh, on salaries, which results in, if you actually applied that to the city budget, it's a 6% increase in the total city budget. So now let me work backwards. We're asking for three and a half because we've made, administration's made some significant uh, changes to, to accommodate keeping it within line. So 
uh, I was either saying we won't have policing or significantly less policing, and I don't think anybody wants that. We've got survey after survey that says we appreciate the protective services and all the work the RCMP do. This was one that I felt like I was in a ring with Muhammad Ali with both hands tied behind my back because we had no way out. Um, so it is a huge challenge. That's just one item that we're addressing is the policing costs that are going up. I bring up my other favorite subjects that people know my past, the carbon tax. Everything the city's buying, including energy itself, is going up. And that's challenging. Where does that inflationary pressure get taken out of the budget? And that's the piece that, again, we do with less. And again, I've heard the comments, cut back city staff, cut back wages. You know, it's not an easy environment, A, in a unionized environment to do that. Second, uh, the staff at the city, people, there's so many moving parts. And I could go through the budget line by line, but the challenge is that we can't simply say, oh, we're just going to give planning a year off. We're a growing city and it's continuing to grow. Maybe not as, grow, as much growth as we saw years and years ago when we sold lots in five minutes. Yeah. Entire city lots for the year were sold in five minutes through a lot draw. That wasn't even that way. But if we're not continuously dealing with planning and updating things. Legislative services, we're continuously dealing with government change on both provinces as they update legislation. Roads, parks, as our city grows, we keep adding more parks. When a developer develops a subdivision, there's 10% urban reserve. Guess what that urban reserve is? It's grass and somebody needs to cut it. So, you know, our team over in parks, they're constantly, people want to see more trees, beautiful. We get compliments every day at Bud Miller Park. Thank you very much. Glad people are using it and enjoying it. But again, those costs. So people have reminded me, you know, five years ago, Gerald, you said you weren't going to raise taxes. And I said, if I could go without raising taxes as mayor, I would lead that charge. I can't do that without cutting somebody's services. And to this point yet, I have had no one, either in Facebook or in person, and I prefer it in person because we won't go down the Facebook challenge. Yeah, social media. <laughs> social media world. Tell me what services you're willing to give up because you want the fire department to respond. You want the police to respond. You want water and sewer to be there. You want to be able to drive on the roads. And yes, I know snow removal becomes an issue, but that's where that half million dollars of taxpayers' money is being put. And that's operational money. And the capital. We haven't even started to talk about what we're going to do next year to continue to improve the city. And one of them is another spray park on the east side. The city also acts as a land developer and wants to enhance the quality of the land that they have. So there is a spray park going in on the east side that's planned. Do I have an exact location? No, but you'll be hearing a lot more of that from the city. We are also doing studies because that's important. We have obligations by government, uh, by acts in government, that we have to do things. Trouble is, I hate doing studies without seeing action, but that helps lead to what roads are being fixed, those kind of things. And we talked about 16 Highway. That was a budgetary item. That's what you saw. The new fire hall is a budgetary item. This building was a budgetary item, especially on the capital side. So, you know, I often sit and chat with people. And the other one is I hear a lot of comments in the past. I've chatted with people about the work that city staff do out in the public. How many guys does it take to put a planter on 16 Highway in the spring, Mr. Mayor? It takes five. Five. One that drove the truck, one that drives the loader, 
two safety people so that somebody doesn't run into the tractor with the, the flower pot and somebody helping unload those flower pots, unstrapping them, things like that. That's yeah, the challenge we have. The old boys like to remind me and <laughs> they tell me, well, safety, that's, that's a thing that, you know, <laughs> we didn't have that issue and we didn't. I think if anybody looks back that worked in the oil and gas industry and the pictures are here, you go back to when heavy oil was found here and the guys working, PPE was a pair of mitts and a good warm toque to keep their head warm. You found out yesterday it still is in parts of the world. <laughs> it is still parts of the world, absolutely. Yeah. But today, safety is paramount because I don't want to have to go and tell a city employee's spouse that we failed to do our job for due diligence. And I think most any employer would say the same thing. We want our staff to go home safe at the end of the day. We want them to do their job, of course. That's all part of it. But we want to ensure that we've taken all the appropriate steps and that does cost money and that's by government regulation OHS WCB all those pieces so it you know I've got it here I, I invite people to take a look at the budget I believe it should be up on the city website I don't have the exact address that talk about operational and all the capital yeah there's going to be new trucks bought if we can get them because we couldn't get the new trucks that were ordered this past year those trucks as the people look, they look good, and our team look, it looks after them. I was looking at one the other day, but the paint's starting to come off one, and I'm going, oh, that's about a 10-year-old Ford that's still looking pretty darn good. But in the same token, that money comes through in, a, in what they call amortization, so it's not actual capital money that's coming out of tax money. It's a, it's a process of using depreciation to, to benefit. And it's like everything else. If the trucks don't work, snowplow trucks, and they're not replaced, why aren't they out? Well, they're in the shop being fixed. Uh, that's we try. Our team works really hard. We've got a beautiful building. We've got a great team over there. They maintain equipment well. But a rotary mower only goes so long before the gears are done. And uh, somebody says it's going to cost us more, Mr. Mayor, to upgrade to update it than it is to buy new. Same thing what we did with buildings. There's a rule. You mentioned a couple of things. I want to talk about uh, was studies yep. and uh, the federal government. So if the federal government has signed a contract with the RCMP, is it now, you know what's coming, don't you? Is it now, should we be going down the road that Jason Kenney appears to be going down and creating a, uh, you know, becoming part of the Alberta police force or Saskatchewan police force? And, and uh, is there a study that has been done on that? So the provincial government has done a study and has released some information. So there's always two to three sides on this. So I understand what the province is doing because it's a chunk of time, uh, change. I think there's a little bit of uh, political lobbying going on here because we know Ottawa and uh, Edmonton and Regina don't always see eye to eye. And trust me, I don't always see eye to eye. Yeah, I was going to say Lloyd Minster doesn't always see eye to eye. The, uh, the, there's pluses and minuses and I can go through some of each because the pluses are today, we saw the RCMP in this city over the last year make significant investments two different times. Helicopter, ERT team, members of multiple jurisdictions of the RCMP here to make our city a little safer, if not a lot safer from that perspective. So those costs, we didn't get a bill. That's part of the RCMP contract. The uh, having those resources to draw on, will the province be able to do that? So I, I asked the province back to that as a question. 
Other side is the RCMP have had challenges filling membership for members because of COVID of late, but other pieces to it. Uh, talking to RCMP members, there's pluses and minuses of being a national police force versus a more regional police force. Uh, you know, there's a cost, and uh, that was the other piece that the Alberta government's going to have to wrestle with. To outfit a police force, wages are wages, you know, apples to apples. But now all of a sudden you need to buy cars, put them in uh, bulletproof vests, uh, equip their tool belts, and all the things that a police officer needs to carry out his job safely, his or her job. That's a significant investment. So there, I, my jury's still out. I, we've, we've indicated support for the RCMP as council and we, we appreciate what they do each and every day. Uh, if the uh, province can bring some things forward, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be almost, I'm going to get very political, but try to be the high level. Uh, the Premier Kenny's come out and said it will not cost you any more as a municipality if we go to a provincial police force. Thank you. I appreciate that. In five years, as a new Premier, say, that Premier says, oh, we can't afford you to do this anymore. We're going to have to pass on the cost to municipal government, just as we've just had from the federal government. What am I supposed to say? Okay, folks, guess what? There's a tax increase to pay for your policing. And we even have a provincial police force. So there's always that skepticism, just as I hear it from people themselves saying, Mr. Mayor, you promised. Five years uh, ago. Five yeah. years ago. Conditions continuously change, and that's the biggest one on what's the best way to go. I know that uh, Saskatchewan's done uh, making some changes. So, hey, we're, we're, we're watching it. We'll work with them. We're, we're open. Again, dialogue and see what we can come up with. You mentioned the spray park, um, the new spray park. It'll be yep. a smaller spray park, yep. right? Uh, is there any other infrastructure in that budget that uh, is uh, is imminent? Oh, there's, uh, you know, from, uh, there's, so there's replacement uh, of a lot of equipment, right? The golf course has uh, a huge inventory of equipment that serves that those uh, the golf course. That's, there's a lot of golf course equipment up for replacement. Uh, there'll be a fleet of trucks uh, and equipment through operations. There's pieces in the budget, and if you can get into the budget and you say, oh, this is subject to government grant money, we uh, have applied for money for the airport to replace some equipment out there. That's federal, different program the, uh, that deals with our airport. When that gets, uh, if it's approved, we would replace it. Otherwise, it carries over in the budget. So that's one of the challenges of the budget. People say, did you spend the full budget? No. Well, we didn't get the full income in that we planned for the budget, so we can't spend it all. Um, I'm just trying to think of a few other things. Like I can, uh, as I brought it out here, I'll just whip through it quick and see if I can find. So, you know, one, we're, we're dealing with, you're using a surface. Uh, Paul's got various computer equipment. City's replacing computers because we need to. We need to invest in IT and even in the software protection because there's a lot of people that would love to shut us down and send us a $500,000 bill to get the ransomware to get the city back up on its feet. It's part of life. Uh, printers, those kind of things. We are updating continuously uh, new computers and staff offices. Uh, the water meters, I know that's a contentious issue. A water meter, we went to automated reading, but the actual water meter needs to be replaced every 20 years because they do wear out from that perspective. Is the controversy over smart meters? Is that what you're kind uh, no, of? No, uh, well, the, the, uh, yeah, the, remote, the remote reading of meters, I know there was some discussion about yeah. that. Um, the fire department, we're continuously adding a few more radios, uh, and they don't come cheap because those are well 
connected to other departments and there's a system that we have to go that way. Uh, just looking at some other things here from different departments. So engineering, uh, let me see here as I go through this because like I say there's a fair amount of stuff. There is planning and planning is see so critical and I was talking to somebody the other day and lady says, yeah, my, uh, she knows somebody that works at ADM and she says, what is ADM where it is? And I go, hmm, that's a really good question. Uh, why are there a lot of things in the city <laughs> where they are and what maybe they should have been a little different? Planning is key. And I drive down 17 Highway and there's commercial, residential, commercial. Those are challenges of not that forward planning. So we have to spend some money and ensure that we have uh, area structure plans. And the list is long and endless. A lot of it is by regulation again, that you plan out things so that you don't have a small house, a big house, an apartment, and then, oh, guess what? We're going to put a factory beside you. So those are some of the ones that I've come to <laughs> greatly appreciate. Uh, let me just see what else, if I can jump out with something that I'll uh, throw out. So one of the other things that Council's done over the last five years, which I'm really proud of, is we're budgeting for future projects this year. So there, our engineering team already has next year's work planned. We're starting to get ahead of that. So what we're seeing from provincial and federal governments is what they call shovel-ready projects. Government's going to bring out their budget in March and say, oh, we found an extra $3 billion. We're going to give it to municipalities to do infrastructure. Thank you. But if we haven't got the projects ready to go, the time you get them designed, tendered, it's too late. You, know, you can't take advantage of the window they've given us. And that's why I really appreciate working with our team and administration, trying to be proactive rather than reactive and plan for that. So there's money in that side. Um, there's going to be some construction throughout the city again on always roads, is. water and sewer. There's always money put, us, uh, put to it every each and every year, and that is capital money. Um, you know, this, the snow dump, there we go. Now we were talking about the snow. We clean it off the roads. Where do you dump it? So we need to stay on top of that because when it melts in the spring, it goes somewhere and nobody wants it on their land, I can tell you that. So the city has to man continuously manage and as we continue to grow, that, that's an interesting one. We are doing a public transportation study and implementation master plan. So this was well debated at council. Why are we doing this? What we're trying to do is get an understanding of what truly the community needs. It was looked at five, seven years ago, I believe, the last time they looked at this through FCSS. But we want to try and get a handle on a made in Lloydminster solution to public transportation. What does that mean? Well, it may look a lot different than Edmonton and Calgary, Saskatoon and Regina because I can tell you it cost them a lot of money over COVID because they had to run the buses and they were less than half full right. in some cases. So that's going to be looked at over the year. Does that, will we have an answer? There'll be proposals brought forward at the end of that study and then the following year or two we'll go from there. And that's one thing councils really strived to deal with reports. If we get a, we're doing a study, we better be prepared to act on that study. And I really believe that uh, you'll find that in the past, council through to working with administration has said, here's the study, what are we doing about it? Some of them, yes, they guide everything that our engineering team does about the future of roads and transportation, water and sewer, because that's long-term planning, storm water, because those are all things, nobody wants their basement to flood because we're not moving the water fast enough. 
And again, that work's going to continue, and it's going on right now. I believe it's Lake J, Lake J or J and K. They're finishing up because we have to do that work in the winter, just as we did on the north end a couple winters ago. So the work in the city continues year-round. If they're not out, our engineering team's not out digging right now, they're planning, and that's great to see. Parks is no different. Parks is maintaining the parks, but I can tell you Blake and the team over at Parks are already thinking about next year, and that's that whole cycle. And uh, the other piece that I think has changed dramatically for budgeting is with the strategic plan that City Council had agreed to, sent down the pipe to administration, they build their business plans to deliver those strategic plan. What's the long-term vision of the city? Then they go through the budgeting process, uh, and that's got much better. The reporting we see at council is incredible. We really appreciate what administration has done and how we've tried to move the needle for them so that they have the confidence that and the numbers, because that's really at the end of the day, and we'll see that at the end of the year. Hopefully we come in under budget, ideally. Don't want to see too big, but in the same token, any extra money we can save will go into next year's, into the reserves to carry us for those surprises when we get the RCMP bill like we are getting. We knew it was coming, and that's the good thing. Administration was putting some away, but that's the hard part. When we get a, we get a boomerang out of the side, and we don't see it coming. And I, I remind people, this is an interim budget because if the provincial governments of Saskatchewan and Alberta drop a, a bomb on us on the budget day, and we watch that very carefully, and then the federal government, or hopefully the federal government says, hey, we're going to double the gas tax another year, or make it permanent, that gives us a million and a half, two million dollars, maybe up to two and a half, that we'll be able to go into capital. We'll be able to pick off four more streets that people say, boy, I wish they could repave those. Yeah, we want to repave them, but we just need to find the money. And uh, we, again, hopefully when we do the repaving, we, we get the groundwork done and get the base cleaned up because that's why the asphalt failed often. Then we do the repaving. And uh, same thing, we went through that discussion. Why can't they do it sooner? Again, how much more are we willing to pay to get something done in a 24-hour period than we are to pay working days? Nobody likes to work 24 hours. Nobody, people like their weekends. Doesn't matter if you're a construction worker, you can ask any of the folks in this business in this city. You guys like working weekends? I think I can give you that answer. And one last question for you if you've got time, because yep. we've kept you pretty long here, but uh, Saskatchewan Trafficking Response Team coming to Lloydminster. Three locations is it in Saskatchewan? Yeah. Yep. Estevan, Swift Current? Uh, and here. And here. Yeah. So in the government of Saskatchewan Throne Speech, uh, it was announced that we're going to actually get two teams through the government of Saskatchewan. There's a crime reduction team, a CRT team, as well as the team you mentioned. So we're working through that right now. Uh, we're getting more of the details because, of course, the throne speech is the, sort of the promise and then the deliverables right. as they come through. We'll be working with the Ministry of Justice and uh, the RCMP as they make that because they will be RCMP officers contracted by the province rather than the city. Good news is we've got space for them. Uh, again, previous council administration planned for a second floor in that RCMP building. I know there was a lot of questions when I was here and you were here as taxpayers, why are they doing that? Do we need that big a building? By gosh, I'm glad that building's there because if we had to add on today, it'd be that much more. So there, we can accommodate them, that's the good news. They've got to go through the process of getting the teams organized and put here. The intention is it's not for the, just the city of Lloydminster, it benefits the greater area. So we're going to, they're going to be working with the CRT team as an example, our team here when it's set up, working with the North Battleford team. 
to deal with crime in our area and that crime reduction. So they're not going to be out writing tickets on 16 Highway for speeding or talking on your cell phone. These folks are dealing with the challenges that are much higher elevated. Guns, drugs and gangs. And uh, you know there's other pieces to that second team and it's going to be terrific. It's it's really great. I had a chance to talk to Colleen Young about it yesterday and you know thank her uh, and the government of Saskatchewan. Looking forward to seeing the minister when I get a chance to thank her for doing that. And we have talked. Uh, she was kind enough to give me a heads up of about an hour before the throne speech came out that this was happening. The you know we've been lobbying with the government for a long time to try and enhance the challenges that we have because it affects our rural neighbors, it affects us, it affects everybody. And this is what the government of Saskatchewan is looking at doing is trying to tackle some routes at a different angle because our general police officers when they go out general duty they're answering calls each and every day. You call for service, you've been you've had an accident, victim of crime, uh, whatever it may be, you require police, that's what they do. These other folks, they're a little more, uh, they, they're very much directed in a certain avenue and uh, the work they do. We have the alert team already here, which is from the Alberta side of the government. Uh, they have already developed this and uh, Saskatchewan's just said, hey, we need to team up. And we said, that's great because now it works both sides. That's at the same share time. The, share the second floor? They're sharing the second floor. That's the intention, yeah. So we've got the alert team up there and uh, it's a Bad guys, watch out. Well, I, uh, you know, I've seen some of the work of alert. And, uh, you know, when they've got it tattooed, I hate alert on their arm or uh, they're wearing that wristband. Uh, I guess as the Maoni said, I guess we get, we send, they're sending us a message. And, uh, you know, I think this is, this is important for the whole region. We were fortunate to house them, but having them in the region, thank you Saskatchewan government for this because this will address some of those issues. Is it going to make us crime-free? No, we're never crime-free. We've never been crime-free, but if we can address some of those major issues that are resulting in additional crimes, because where do property crimes come from? People need money for other things. And, uh, you know, we just had the opioids don't discriminate uh, display at the city. Uh, drugs are a challenge. Gangs are a challenge. Guns are a challenge in the wrong hands. And uh, hopefully we can address some of those issues. Thanks, Gerald. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks for hosting it here at uh, having the ability to come to the new museum and archives. I encourage everybody to take some time uh, through the holiday season and uh, in December, if you get tired of shopping, stop by the museum and, and tour it for yourself and see firsthand. And, you know, this area that we're sitting in is going to be that traveling exhibits. We're also going to see our team be able to take things out of that cold storage that a lot of seniors have said, hey, there's some stuff that we donated and our family's very proud of. We're going to try and get it out on display over a period of time. We just couldn't display that 40,000 plus items in our inventory. That's a lot of items. Yeah. That's a lot of items. Uh, shout out to uh, Paul Schwabius. I always, if I can shout out to anybody from Landis, I will. Uh, he emailed us and we're set to go and helped <laughs> us out with uh, getting set up here. So we really appreciate the IT team from the city making sure that we have a nice clear broadcast for you here as well. We're back again tomorrow and uh, we'll be back at the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan and we will find out who the winner of Border Idol is. Who the top three winners. <laughs>
for Border Idol R. And uh, <laughs> we even have a ghost here at the museum. Yeah, yeah, that's early, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll also be talking to uh, Olivia Brokoff about uh, Olivia's PJs. So that's tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock, from the new Lloyd Mr. Nissan. And hopefully, we'll still have microphones. Hopefully.